This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So, as you know, we've been preaching through Romans, right? And we've been preaching through Romans for like 15 years now, right? <laughs> you know? And we hit sort of the sweet spot. It's like when the charcoal starts to, to, to it's been burning for a while and it's cooking really good. So we're at a point where we're like at a series in the middle of a series. And we've titled this particular series, Genuine Love. So that's, that's the, the, the main title, Genuine Love. Aaron starts preaching on it um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was introduced to us in verse 9. And they started talking about Paul, is, is, he's describing these points that, that shows us what genuine love actually looks like, right? And it's easy to look at these different points. He says, do this, do that, don't do this. And it's easy to look at it and think about it like, a check system, let me check this off, let me check that off. But it's not like that. It's more like a, a self-examination, how to look at yourself to see if I'm walking in this genuine love that he's describing. He's, he's saying, all right, this is what genuine love is. Let me paint a picture of it so you can see where you're fitting in that. So what I want to do is just quick recap 9 and 10, and then we're going to jump into 11. A real quick recap. So in, um, in verse 9, he said, let your love be genuine. And it's the thing that we walk away from is, am I letting God genuinely love others in and through me? Is, is this thing genuine? Because there's no room for actors here. It's nothing for us to fake, right? right? So that's the idea of this genuine thing where God is loving through you. No actors here. And then he goes on and he says, the way this love looks is this idea of abhorring what's evil and then holding fast to what's good. And I love that because it says true love holds accountable for sin without throwing everybody away at the same time. It holds you accountable for your sin at the same time clings to you, clings to the good. And when Aaron was preaching this, the thing that, that came to my mind, I was reminded that I was having this conversation one time with this, um, this older um, Jamaican lady. Um, she, was, she was much older, but she had much wisdom in the gospel. And we was talking about something. I don't remember exactly what we was talking about, but I remember that it was bothering me a lot, right? It was bothering me a lot. Me and her got to the conversation, and I'm like, you know, and I wanted to just throw the whole thing away. Now, her comment to me is what st- stuck in my mind when Aaron was preaching on this. See, in Jamaican culture, we eat a lot of fish, right? But it's not, um, it's not the nice filleted fish that we always have over here. It's a lot of bony fish, but it's good. I mean, like, real, real, really, really good. So just a plug, escovish fish. It's a Jamaican dish. You want to try it one day, right? Anyhow, right? So she said, she said, listen, she said, baby, you got to be able to eat the fish and spit out the bones, right? And that stuck with me. This idea of like, man, the bones were the bad things that you are born and want to spit out, but the fish was the thing that you really wanted to cling to. So that stuck inside of my head. 
And then he preached on verse 10 when he starts to talk about how this love looks being walked out. Then he showed how, how, how Paul was all a gangster with it when he came with the Philea Storge, the family. That was dope. That was dope. This, this love that's deeper than a friendship and yet closer than family. And then how that love would overflow into this crazy competition, trying to outdo one another and showing love and honoring one another. That was awesome because that's how this life should look, being walked out. Then we get to verse 11. So here's the part that we stand together as a congregation and we read the Bible together. I'm a little bit different than Aaron and, and Wesley because they just make things up and just preach off of it. But I read from the Bible, and I preach from the Bible. So, you got to have somebody to balance things out. Like, no. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll read verse 11 together. All right. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Again, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. You can be seated. So, as I said, the grand theme of this series is genuine love. But the sub-theme of this passage is serving passionately. So that's what you could write down, it's on your thing, serving passionately. Now, thus far, Paul has been describing what genuine love is and, then, and, and how it looks. Like, he's describing what genuine love is, and then now in verse 11, he continues his description by telling you what genuine love is not, by starting off saying, do not be slothful in your zeal. This is not a description of genuine love. Slothful, lazy, lagging behind, slow to action, procrastinating. And what? Your zeal. So just thinking about zeal, that enthusiastic diligence, that constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken, that enthusiastic and persistent exertion of the body and the mind towards a particular end. A person with zeal is amped up. They're turned up. They can hardly sit still. They're ready for action. When I think about zeal, right, I think about this group of people that came up during the intertestamental period. That was the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And in Israel, they, they, they hadn't heard from God for a while. They haven't heard from any of the prophets for a while. And they was waiting. And they was waiting in hope for the Messiah. And as they was waiting during this period, this great long period of time, they started to become these different expressions of the hope of Israel. They started to pop up in these different, different groups of, of, of people who, who believe that this is how things are going to look, this is how things should be. And, they, they, you know, you had like, you know, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these different groups with different expressions of Israel's hope while they was waiting for the Messiah to come. But in the midst of, of those people, in the different expressions, a subculture of people who became known as the Zealots, started to grow up. Now, 
The zealous, they, they weren't like, in, in a sense, like just a particular one group because there were zealous that was in this group, some zealous that was in that group. So it, I, when I think about them, I think about like the hip-hop culture. It's, like, it's not like just one group of people. There's different people from different areas, but they all sort of were singing the same way and feeling the same way, right? Now, they were called zealots because they burned with a zeal for Israel and the law. And some of the ways we saw their zeal expressed was they were extremely loyal to the Torah. Another way, they fiercely resisted compromise with pagan culture. Like, pagan culture was all around them, and there was this consistent pressure to conform to that pagan culture, and they resisted it fiercely. It was like they wasn't having it, right? To the point that they were willing to be martyred to resist. And to the point that they even embraced violence to achieve their ends. Within this group of people, you had even what was called a Sakari. They called them dagger men. Now, these guys was gangsters because they was willing to cut you. <laughs> if they caught you slipping on the law, especially if you were the Jewish leader, I mean, they literally kept daggers in their clothes. Like, what? You did what? You know? <laughs> They resembled to me, they resembled the Islamic extremists of today, though, who, who likewise do the things that they do out of an intense zeal for what they believe. Like, for them, anything less than what they're doing is what, for a Christian, we would call lukewarm. That's, what, that's how they see it. The question isn't whether or not we have zeal, because most of us are zealous for something. Whether it's our, our bodies, so we stay in the gym all day long, or we try every single diet that's out there, or whether it's our children to the point that you're practically idolizing them, or, or even food was like, man, no one can't have food out without you asking for some. Or even money, where you like work like 25 jobs, and you can't, because you're just so zealous for the, the idea of making a buck. Something. The question is whether or not we have zeal, but what are we zealous about? These zealots had so much zeal for the Torah and the law that they started to form their own ideologies of how things would look when the Messiah came. So much so that when he did come, they missed him because they thought his zeal would look like theirs, but their zeal was misplaced in the flesh. So I want to look at this thing right here. These verses that was leading up to this 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 point in scripture that we at, you get to see the context of these verses and they give us the roots and the directions to our zeal. They expose what our zeal should look like when flowing from the genuine love of God inside of us. Check this out. Verse, verse 9, let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Both of these previous verses leading up to this verse talks about how it looks for this genuine love to be fleshed out in the context of community with people. The people that God has called us on mission with. People that God has called us to live this life out with. 
whether it's our wife, whether it's our husband, whether it's our children, whether it's our parents, whether it's siblings, friends, family, or family. How we honor and serve each other. So we should be zealous about loving one another, zealous about honoring one another, zealous about serving one another. And to this cause, he says, be fervent in spirit. The idea of this, this boiling over with excitement and motivation at the idea of serving and honoring your brother and sister in Christ. Where your spirit becomes a, set ablaze by the Holy Spirit with a passion to be there for one another in genuine love, regardless of race, age, gender, economic status, or anything else. Now notice, he doesn't say have zeal. Because he's already assuming a certain level of zeal. He's writing to the church. He's giving their lives to God. He's already assuming a certain level of zeal, but he says do not be slothful in it. Because we can have this dysfunctional kind of zeal that really desires to do, but rarely gets to the doing because it's so slothful, missing out on some of the beautiful and even God-sent opportunity to love others. 1 Corinthians 4 and 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. So no matter how much we we talk about it, no matter how much we imagine it, even when we sit down and we think about all the theological applications of actually doing it, if we are slothful, lagging behind, slow to action, a.k.a. procrastinating on actually walking in that power associated with living it out, we are not walking in genuine love. It's merely just wishful thinking. That's where it stops at. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Then he says, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. See, even though he's talking about living out the one another's life together, serving each other, and yes, this also applies to serving in the church. He says the passion for doing this flows for something deeper, flows for something bigger, flows for something more beautiful than us. He says doing this is actually an act of serving God himself, and this is where it all flows from. If your passion for serving in any ministry or your passion for serving your brother or your sister in Christ starts and stops with them or even yourself trying to be seen in a particular way or prove something, it will fall short. The motivation, the driving force behind it would eventually steer you astray. This has to be an overflow of your deep love for Christ. He gives you a passion for him, which expresses itself in the form of a pure and genuine desire to serve the church, to serve the body as a whole in ministry and individual members of the body personally. When I was growing up, most of you guys know I grew up in New York, so 
It was like a war zone, right? And um, as, a, as a kid, I had this, this cousin, right? And he was, he was known in the streets for his fighting skills, right? So whenever I ran into beef and I got into beef with somebody that was bigger and badder than me, a lot of times even my friends would throw his name out. And they were like, oh, worry, that's brown boy cousin? Yeah, his name was Brown Boy. His real name was Vernell, but they called him Brown Boy. I don't know. He wasn't like, he wasn't like the black guy in a white neighborhood. I don't know why they called him Brown Boy, but everybody called him Brown Boy. And Brown Boy name just echoed throughout the community. So I ran into very little beef because of that. But then one day, Brown Boy gets arrested and he goes to jail. So now he's gone. Then there was this day, this, this, this morning that was like, um, seemed to be like the worst morning of my life because I decided to hang out at the park and these other two bullies ran up and I got jumped. Now, I thought like, like the park was empty and nobody else was there, nobody else seen it. But when I got back to school, everybody somehow knew about it. Yo, we heard you got jumped. So one, one day during that week, now, now here's the deal, brown boy, Brown boy, he hung with this kid named Richie. Now, I didn't know Richie well, right? Um, but he always hung with Brown boy. He, he and Brown boy was like besties. You know, it was like, whenever you seen Brown boy, you seen Richie. But like I said, I didn't know him well. I never hung out with him by myself. And then one day, I'm walking home from school. And we all walked home from school. In my community, they couldn't have buses because kids fought on the buses, so they just said, forget about buses, and everybody walked home, which was horrible because then it was like the warriors trying to get from school to your house, <laughs> you know? So one day, I'm, so I'm walking home from school, and I'm walking past this house, and I heard, yo, Wayne, and I look, and it's Richie. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you lived near the school. He's like, yo, come here. We came inside the house. I came, oh, what's going on? How you doing? I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Now, Richie didn't even go to my school, right? He was older than me. Yo, I heard you got jumped. I'm like, how'd you hear too? <laughs> he's like, he's like, man, these people think just because Brown Boy is in jail, they can do whatever they want. Not on my watch. Then he gets up, he puts his clothes on, he puts his sneakers on, everything. He's like, we going right now. We're going to go find them. I'm like, for real? Because I don't want to fight him. You know, and, um, he's like, let's go. And then he takes me, basically he drags me, right, out on the streets to search for them. He finds one, beats him up. Then we go searching, and he finds the other one and beats the other one up too. Now, here's the deal. Richie wasn't known on the streets for fighting. He was actually very soft-spoken and very quiet. The thing here was that Richie cared about me because he cared about Brown Boy so much. And he knew that Brown Boy cared about me. That was the thing that, 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 that was bothering him. So him serving me by standing up for me was really a way of serving Brown Boy's interests. Because he was visiting Brown Boy in jail and everything. You know, and, and I was like a bad cousin because I, I, I never gone and visit him in jail or nothing like that, Right? But he was, right? Like, you see your cousin in jail the other day? I was like, yeah, no, I ain't go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and, um, but, but, the, but the deal was, he, me and him didn't have a relationship like that. 
Him and Brown Boy had a relationship like that. And out of his love, his affection for Brown Boy, he was coming out of his quiet zone and stepping out on the street and surprising everybody. Because like I said, he wasn't known for that. And the two dudes that jumped me were known for that. But he whooped their butts and they never messed with me again. You know, that was dope, right? (laughs) Oh, man. So he did it because he wanted to, to serve the interests of Brown Boy, right? What caused me to think more about this next thing where he says, serve the Lord. He did what he knew Brown Boy would have done. Serve the Lord. Serve. This is the idea of a bond servant, a slave. A slave does the will and the desire of his master. This is where we find our identity, connected to our master, to God. Where he moves inside of us in in acts of service to others, where in actuality it's him serving them through us. Philippians 2 and 13, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The way this looks is this. When we are allowing God to live inside of us and walk out this true and genuine love, it gives us this, this genuine passion for life in and of itself. Where we, we serve because we want to, not because we ought to. This is desire and delight versus duty and legalism. Serving passionately. When people think of passion, they think of intense emotion. But the context that I'm talking about serving passionately is more than just intense emotion because emotions come and emotions go. True passion in serving comes from God and is done through his grace, love, and power working inside of you for his glory. This pushes past emotions to the point that you're willing to even suffer for the sake of that passion. Richie didn't know if he would have got beaten up that day. But there was no way that I was making it out of there without him standing up. This is why I said it's more than just intense emotion because for most people, when it stops feeling good, when it stops feeling fun, when it starts to suffer, when you start to suffer, that's when most of us start to check out. And the band can go ahead and make their way up now. And I know just preaching this, I know that there's this concern. If I do it, even though I don't feel it emotionally, Aren't I just faking? Isn't it just doing it out of duty? What I'm saying is true passion isn't walked out solely on the strength of emotional feelings, but instead deeply genuine love. So that even when you don't feel it, you can still passionately serve because you still love it. It's a difference there. And this thing is exemplified in Jesus. Driven by genuine love, 
He had an intense passion to serve men and to redeem us and to fellowship with himself. But when the knowledge of the suffering that he would endure started to impact him, he became emotionally challenged and started to even sweat blood and even ask the Father if this cup can pass from him. Again, this is where most of us would have checked out. But he was kept by something deeper, something greater than just emotions and feelings. He was kept by a desire to serve the will of the Father, nevertheless thy will be done then passionately goes through all the suffering associated with the cross, serving the Father as he served us. Here's the application. If you are being slothful in your zeal to serve the people that God has called you into fellowship with, that you are not letting God genuinely love them through you. So there's three application points. I don't have nothing up there, but you guys can write this down, right? First one, pray for a passion. Pray that God will first and foremost fan the flames of passion inside your heart for him. All of this flows from God, from your deep love for God. Pray that God will give you a deeper passion for him. Then as you pray for God to give you a deeper passion for him, also pray that God, God's passion and zeal to serve his bride becomes your own. Application point number two. Trust and obey. One of the reasons why we can be slothful in walking out our zeal is because a lot of times we don't trust that it's really God that's moving inside of us. It's really God that's saying, hey, do this right here. You start looking at all the implications of actually doing this, and you think about all the things that could go wrong, and probably if I was in a better position, I would do it. I'll just pray. Not trusting that it's actually God and he has this end and this end covered. So since you're not really trusting God, then you don't obey. Application point number two, trust and obey. And application point number three, walk in the spirit. This is what I mean when I say walk in the spirit. Let God... Serve others through you, not you trying to serve others through God. Let me explain what this means here. See, when God serves others through you, it's always for his glory. But when it's you trying to serve others through God, really is you trying to get your glory and trying to use God in the process. Let God serve others through you so your serving is, 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 is an overflow of the Holy Spirit working inside of you and God loving that person, not you trying to do your thing. Let's pray. Father, you are so awesome and so great, Lord. And it is just incredibly clear, Lord, that in order to have this, this zeal, this true zeal, Lord, that what we need is you to live and rest inside of us, Lord. We need 
We need you to glorify yourself in and through us, Lord. So, Father, I ask that you will tear down any, any walls that are blinding us from seeing you, Lord. Walls of pride, walls of self-righteousness. I ask that you will glorify yourself in and through us and that you will light a flame inside of us like number four, Lord. That you will rekindle a deep passion for you that is fleshed out in how we serve each other. We thank you, Lord. We exalt you, your wonderful and beautiful name. And we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name.